of Islam Radio. The Promised Messiah, peace be on him, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Islam states, Sin, which indeed is a poison, is born when a man is wanting in obedience to God and is empty of his love and his affectionate remembrance. The fate of a man whose heart has become cold to the love of God is like that of an uprooted tree no longer capable of drawing the sap of life from the soil. As such, a tree gradually withers and dies. So like the dryness of the tree, sin overwhelms the heart. The remedy for this state of dryness, according to the law of nature, is of three types. Number one, love. Number two, istighfar, that is, seeking forgiveness of Allah. It literally means a desire to bury or to cover, reminding one that as long as the root of the tree is buried in the soil, it can hope to bring forth green foliage. Number three, the third remedy is toba, which means to turn towards God in all humility, drawing the sap of life and to bring oneself closer to Him, to break loose with the help of righteous deeds from the enveloping cover of sinfulness. Tawbah cannot be achieved merely by word of mouth. In fact, Tawbah can be perfected only with the help of righteous deeds. All acts of goodness are aimed at achieving perfection of Tawbah. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the ever merciful, Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Monday, the 11th of September 2023. The time is 7.05 a.m. and you're listening to Daniel Zia and Imam Usman Manan live from the South London studios of Voice of Islam. As is the norm, we bring uh, every Monday two topics for you. And the two topics that we shall be covering today are... So, so the first topic is about um, co- uh, cognitive uh, psychology and uh, the use of um, 
um, uh, that in the in the fashion industry, uh, we we shall um, um, uh, we shall come back to that um, at about seven thirty a.m. But before we go any further into the into the topics, uh, let me welcome my co-host uh, Imam Usman Manan. Um, how are you doing, Imam Usman Manan? Assalamualaikum. I'm very good. Alhamdulillah. Um, how are you today? Yes, very well. Um, uh, it's been a it's been a very sunny week, uh, a hot week as well, and uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, this um, this week, which is supposed to be rather nice. Um, so yeah, totally. Yes, uh, looking yes. Forward to. Um, <clears throat> I did go. Uh, thinking it was a very sunny Sunday yesterday, we uh, went to the beach, and um, on the way to the beach, it starts pouring rain. <laughs> right. And you yeah, know, like they uh, were predicting thunderstorms yesterday. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so it was it was a um, very unexpected for us, even though the week has been so nice. Yeah. Uh, so we were on the way, and then obviously we already made plans, a few families and. Uh, we were on the way and we were not going to go back now. <laughs> Bad timing, yes, absolutely. So we went there and it was still raining. Uh, for the first like half an hour, we just sat in the car. You know, like uh, we used to come out, maybe it stopped raining. No, it's still raining, go back in. And uh, it was the evening around 5, 6 o'clock. It was a lot better. And the sun came out as well, like just as we're leaving. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, that was like... Surprise for me, but just a warning for all the listeners as well that the the sunshine is about to end. Yes, don't absolutely. expect anything else. We um, are actually officially in autumn, so absolutely. Yes, so I, I think this, this the summer has been uh, has been okay as well. It was it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too hot, um, but it wasn't really that hot for a very long time either. It was it was correct. You know, yeah. periods of nice weather and then. Some periods yeah. of cold weather inside. Uh, That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. The summer was 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 mixed, and but yeah, it ended on a high note. Shall we say it ended on a yeah. <laughs> on a rather uh, nice and hot note uh, and and sunny. Right. Okay. So um, as is the norm, we start off the show with the headlines appearing in the newspapers in the morning, and uh, let me go through the paper. What are the papers saying um, this morning? So m- many of today's front pages uh, are following up on the arrest of a researcher who was working in the parliament amid claims he was spying for China. Police have confirmed two men, one in his 20s and another in his 30s, were arrested under the Official Secrets Act in March. The Daily Mail leads on condemnation from MPs of a hostile act in the heart of parliament. The quote comes from Conservative MP Sir Ian Duncan Smith, who told the paper China sees Britain as a soft option. Intelligence service set to haul in China spies report the Daily Telegraph, citing sources who have told the paper that security services are poised to unmask a number of Chinese spies in the coming months amid concerns that a network of Beijing agents are operating in Westminster. The paper reports that security services are planning to use the new security, National Security Act passed this summer to detain a number of Chinese agents suspected to be working in the House of Commons. The Metro reports that Prime Minister Rishi Sunak expressed concerns about Chinese interference to a senior official from China at the G20 summit in India on Sunday. The lead story accompanied by a picture of Mr. Sunak and his wife in a New Delhi reports that the Prime Minister met Chinese Premier Li Qiang and raised very strong concerns about any interference in the UK's parliamentary democracy. 
Prime Minister confronts Lee at G20 summit, says the Financial Times, leading the same story about Mr. Sunak, accusing China of interfering in Britain's parliamentary democracy. The paper also prominently features the aftermath of the earthquake in Morocco on its front page, alongside an image of women crying after she learned the fate of relatives. Terror on our streets in, is the splash for the Daily Mirror after three people, including an 11-year-old girl, were injured in a dog attack in Birmingham. The paper reports comments from Home Secretary Suela Braverman about the dog, saying, we can't go on like this. Ms. Braverman said American XL bully is a clear and legal and lethal nature as she pushed for a ban on the breed. The Guardian leads with a report from the village of Moulay Ibrahim in Morocco's Atlas Mountains following Friday's earthquake which killed more than 2,000 people. The area is termed the Moroccan village where death came in the night and the story is accompanied with a photo of women at the funeral of two victims there. UK interest rates and predictions on future rises make the splash of the eye. The paper reports that hope grows that the Bank of England will limit future rate rises, adding adding that the eyes expect expert panel of economists forecast a less aggressive approach to tackling inflation, with the majority believing that there may only be one more interest rate rise this year, a small mercy for mortgage holders. The Daily Star reports on the Great British Punk Off as people take advantage of the hot weather following the unprecedented heat wave. The paper says millions of staff are ditching work on Monday to enjoy one last blast of the 28 degree centigrade heat wave before temperatures begin to drop. And finally, the news that retired news presenter Alistair Stewart is living with dementia is the lead for the Daily Express. The story features a picture of the broadcaster as he was interviewed by a former colleague on GB News on Sunday, during which he revealed that he had been diagnosed with the early onset of vascular dementia and has suffered a series of minor strokes. That was a roundup of the daily newspapers, um, the Monday's newspapers, I should say. We shall now take a quick break, and when we come back, we will stay with the headlines appearing in some other newspapers and other stories leading in the papers this morning. Do stay tuned. of Islam radio.
Hazrat Yusuf, on whom be peace, mentions God's favors by virtue of his attribute of Al-Latif, the benignant, by recalling how God was his friend, while his brothers conspired against him. According to the lexicon, Latif is a kind of gracious being, one who is benevolent to his creation, as well as one who is aware of all subtle and incomprehensible matters. Al-Latif is one who illuminates hearts, who makes arrangements for physical and spiritual nourishment, and who offers his friendship to his servants during times of tribulation. The promised Messiah on whom be peace said that sight, intellect, and consciousness cannot reach God. It is impossible to try and see Him. He is Al-Latif. He is unseen and illuminates the person He reaches to such an extent that the person speaks for Him, a divine honor mostly granted upon the prophets of God. God is the knower of all subtleties and is all aware. He is of those who seek Him and raises prophets to be their guide to Him. His light is manifested through His prophets as they spread the light of unity of God all around them. Among all the prophets of God, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon Him, disseminated this light the most for it was He who had the most perfect perception of God, and it was He who was completely imbued in the colors of God. In the current age, because of His perfect and complete devotion and subservience to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon Him, God has granted this distinct honor to the promised Messiah, on whom be peace. It is the attribute of Al-Latif that makes God the friend of His servants in all trials and tribulations. Just as the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, continuously prayed for the reformation of his Ummah as well as his opponents, as only Al-Latif can be the guidance and reformation. Al-Latif is the supporter of the victim, the voice of the oppressed, Al-Latif is that companion whose loyalty never fails to astound. It is he who fills hearts with his magnificent light. Then should we not be grateful for the mercy of Al-Latif?
listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to this live edition of the Breakfast Show from South London Studios of Voice of Islam. We are talking about the headlines appearing uh, in the newspapers this morning. Uh, before we go back into uh, into what's happening, um, not only in the um, in the world around us, but also within the community and the Muslim community, just a quick reminder of the two topics that we shall be talking about. So the first topic is about secondhand September that we will start uh, a discussion on at 7:30 a.m. And the second topic, which we shall start at about 8:15 a.m., is about the importance importance of preserving history. So those are the two topics. Please do stay tuned. Um, and on that note, uh, uh, let me ask my colleague, um, Imam Mubash Zafri, who has recently been to the Ahmadi Muslim Community uh, Communities Convention in Germany and has returned from, from that. Um, Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. How was the convention in Germany? Wa alaikum Peace be upon you all too. Uh, yes, so last uh, weekend, the convention of the Ahmadi Muslim community in Germany was held and um, the main highlight highlight was that uh, His Holiness has uh, had actually travelled from the UK to attend that convention. Hmm. Uh, so I think that was the biggest um, reason why so many people had travelled from around Europe, around the world, to attend that convention. Uh, it was to see His Holiness and listen to his speech. Uh, so His Holiness had uh, altogether three addresses the first being the Friday sermon uh, the second being the uh, address that he uh, you know delivers at the ladies side hmm. and then lastly the final and concluding session in which he then again spoke of the importance of understanding Islamic teachings and how they are uh, a how Islamic teachings play a leading role in establishing uh, harmony and peace in the world, and he has been looking at different uh, parts of society in which Islam excels. So this was the highlight of uh, the convention. Uh, the convention, of course, was a, a historical convention because. Mm. It had been 100 years since the community had been established in Germany. Mm. Uh, furthermore, uh, it was a complete new place. So uh, previously they had been um, holding their conventions in Karlsruhe, which is uh, also uh, towards the southern part of Germany. Now they've moved even further down south and uh, they held their convention in a place called Stuttgart. It was a massive uh, area. So this is where the convention was held and I was fortunate enough to be there to listen to his or his holiness's uh, addresses. Uh, and overall, uh, you know, it was... Um, it was a good experience to you know to hmm. to attend a, a convention different to the one that we hold here in the UK. Right, of course, and um, yeah, you, as you mentioned, it was a historic convention. Um, close to forty-six thousand people, I think, attended. Uh, Absolutely, forty-seven thousand something. So it was right. quite quite large in numbers as well. Yeah. Uh, and they were expecting those kind of numbers as well, since it was a uh, hundred years of their 
of the community in Germany. So it was historical in that sense. Absolutely. And I guess uh, the other important um, activity that's uh, supposed to happen this month within our uh, community here in the UK is the um, is again the annual congregation of the um, uh, uh, the youth youth association, also the women's association and the elders association. So I think uh, that's going to happen in three subsequent weeks, uh, starting with the youth one um, uh, in a couple of weeks time. Absolutely. So again, that's another important part of the calendar that is formulated at the beginning of the year for the community. Uh, and the youth uh, youth associations uh, gathering, again, is very important uh, because it's a means of getting the youth together. Uh, it's, uh, you know, instilling a sense of community, uh, brotherhood, uh, you know, amongst the youth. Uh, and it's very important, especially in this day and age where, you know, there's so many things that are going around us. It's important to have, you know, a community where you can go, where you can, you know, openly talk about things, where you can learn. Uh, and it's a it's a safe, uh, it's a safe haven uh, from all the... And I won't say all of the evils, but a lot of the things that do happen around us, it's a safe haven for that. Uh, And so a lot of the youth uh, members come there, they speak, they learn, uh, they uh, partake in sport uh, activities. And it's, it's, it's a very harmonious atmosphere it's a it's a place where people feel together you know they feel united they they forge a bond of uh, brotherhood amongst other uh, young members of the community and uh, as i mentioned that this specific one that's going to be held uh, the first one will be for the uh, the male members so the male youth members of the community so it's it's a three days a jam-packed uh, schedule where you have sports uh, competitions such as football, basketball, uh, even cricket, indoor cricket. Mm. Uh, then you have academic competitions, which includes you know the recitation of the Holy Quran, because it's also a place to instill Islamic teachings. Mm. So uh, there will be academics uh, surround you know revolving around Quranic recitation, uh, poems uh, of the prom- promised Messiah, peace be upon him, and also the caliphs of the community then you also have prepared speeches mm. and these speeches will be about um, certain subjects that revolve around the theme so there's a lot that will be going on uh, and uh, of course the highlight being his holiness's address at the end the concluding address which is always a you know a food for thought for everyone present there but not just food for thought but it's also it uh, relinquishes the spiritual thirst that uh, a lot of the members, you know, wait for. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, and and, and a very similar schedule for the uh, for the Elders Association uh, convention as well, which is uh, I think going to be held in the first week of October. Right. Um, with that, uh, we will now take a short break, and when we come back, we will delve right into the first topic, which is about secondhand September. Do stay tuned. Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar 
Ashadu an la ilaha illallah Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. So for for me in 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 my life, what I did was, I said to um, it came to a point in my life where I said. I need spirituality. Right. I need to know about there must be more to life than just working, getting up in the morning, going to work at nine o'clock, coming home at five o'clock, going to bed, waking up the next day and doing the same thing over and over again. There must be more to life than just eating food and taking pleasure from a meal. Sure. There must be more to life than drinking a latte yeah. and taking pleasure in a latte. Yeah. And all of these thoughts take you towards spirituality. Sure. And when you know spirituality, that is to come to Allah. So, so that was how it started. But then what really, you know, practically for me, what happened was, I said to the, the various friends that I had at the time, you know, I believe in, I want to know about God, yeah. whether or not God exists. What would you advise me? So I spoke to a Christian, right. I spoke to a Buddhist, I spoke to a Muslim, I spoke to a, Hindu. a Hindu a little bit, yeah. and also to an Ahmadi Muslim as well. Right. And they all right. gave me the same advice. They all said, Allah, we believe in God, we pray, and God answers prayers. Sure. So what was very nice is all the different religions essentially gave the same advice. Right. When I did that, then when I prayed, then Allah answered my prayers. Right. And I prayed for the first time genuinely from my heart. And Allah says that whenever the supplicant prays to him, then he answers those prayers. Yeah. And Allah, by the, grace of, by the grace of Allah Almighty, then he answered my prayers and I believed in him for the first time. And from there, I continued those conversations and I said to the Christian, what do you believe? I said to the Muslim, what do you believe? And to the Hindu, the same, and to the Ahmadi Muslim. And essentially, to believe in Islam Ahmadiyat means you believe in all of Jesus' teachings, all of Krishna's teachings, all of Buddha's teachings, but you have them clarified by the Holy Quran, right. and then you accept the Prophet or the Imam Mahdi who's been sent by Allah in, in subservience to the Holy Prophet right. So to, to become an Ahmadi Muslim means that you actually accept everything that all of the others do, but you are the most submissive to Allah because you accept a Prophet that has come so recently that to make that decision shows, or inshallah, it shows to Allah that I'm willing to follow you and not just my culture, not just my society, but I'm willing to accept the one that you've sent in my, in my time, in my generation. Sure. Ashhadu an la ilaha 
listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to this live edition of The Breakfast Show from South London Studios of Voice of Islam. We are about to delve into the first topic of uh, this morning, which is about second-hand September. Imam Usman Manan, would you like to take us through what uh, uh, second-hand September is all about? Uh, we were having a discussion offline, and uh, Imam Mubashir Zafri was, was rather intrigued. So, yeah, uh, please do explain what the um, what second-hand September is all about. Yes, sure. So over the past few years, Oxfam started the pledge of second-hand September, encouraging people to donate and shop second-hand. So what is this second-hand uh, September? Uh, it, this is an annual campaign that uh, encourages individuals to make a positive impact on the environment and their communities by adopting more sustainable clothing uh, um, practices throughout the month of September. Instead of buying new clothes every, uh, you know, nowadays the, the the trend kind of changes so fast that uh, one month you have one kind of clothing and the next month there's there's like a new uh, a new drop. So people want to buy the latest things, the latest shoes. Uh, this initiative promotes a shift away from a fast fashion and uh, consumerism by encouraging people to donate, reuse and rewear. Um, and restyle the clothing instead of constantly buying new items. <clears throat> and by choosing secondhand options, whether through a thrift stores, clothing swaps, or repurposing existing garments, participants not only reduce the uh, demand for new production, but also minimize textile waste and the carbon footprint associated with the fashion industry. So I think maybe a few months ago, we did speak about this a few weeks ago about the fast fashion how uh, in, in today's society, the, I mean, the technology has advanced so much that making clothes is, is so easy for humans now. Uh, whereas if you take this back a few decades, uh, everything was done manually and people would wear the same dress. Uh, I mean, for, for like, uh, they would only have three, four dresses and, you know, two like nice ones and like four or five simple ones. And they would reuse them uh, over over the years. And whenever there was like a big event, maybe there was a wedding coming up or there was uh, like a big festival coming up, then people used to buy a new dress and then use that dress for, um, you know, for the next few years. Uh, this is uh, actually something that my mother told me as well, that uh, when they were younger, it used to be like this, that we had a few dresses each um, and uh, that was it. We, we didn't have all these cupboards full of clothes and can't decide in the morning what we're going to wear today. So all the stress coming along with this. So this is what Secondhand September is about. And uh, addressing uh, climate change is an undeniable imperative, one that is uh, very important, uh, especially if you talk about the poverty in the world, uh, taking immediate action is now more critical than ever to prevent this global crisis from escalating into irreversible catastrophe. Consider this, when, when a brand when a brand new pair of jeans is manufactured, it releases an estimated 16.2 kilograms of carbon dioxide, uh, which is equivalent to driving over 60 miles in a car. So embracing a culture of reusing our clothing, purchasing, uh, wearing and donating secondhand items can play a crucial role in diminishing the demand for new apparel. Uh, apparel. <clears throat> 
and in doing so uh, we have the potential to um, curtail the harm inflicted on our planet um, we see other initiatives such as these as is, is one of them is the the ULIS, which is being extended and the and the encouragement of using electric cars and newer models of cars because the older ones apparently um, release more harmful or they release more amounts of carbon dioxide so this is just uh, this whole scheme is just another way of taking care of our planet and uh, making sure um, that we do the best to you know sustain this planet which has given us uh, so many things so many beautiful things um, so we we should uh, do our duty and um, pay back to the planet and do as much as we can um, I think there's an aspect of like um, humility and simplicity in this as well mm-hmm. um, that you don't always have to get the you know newest things the it has to be brand new because mm-hmm. clothes are something which can be reworn they mm-hmm. they don't uh, if if you have, for example, if you have food, mm. or if you have, uh, uh, it expires. Yeah, but that expires. You yeah. know, the, yeah. you understand that it's it's harmful to use mm. it. Whereas clothes are something if you just put put them in the wash mm. and they come out, it doesn't matter how old they are, how how many times they've been used. They they're basically new. Yeah. Uh, it's just the trend. It's just the the logo, the brand, which is old, maybe. Correct, and it's 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 a mindset as well of of trying to wear new clothes uh, you know every time you go to a function or every time you go to uh, an event and uh, yeah it's it's about uh, about that fast fashion mindset that uh, that people have that uh, we've got and and you're right absolutely this is uh, this is a duty that we have to perform to um, to uh, to help with climate change which mm. uh, which you know we see um, every day but i don't think it's just climate change as well i think it's also uh, the fact that uh, you know the imbalance in society that you know when we speak of uh, how people who have more riches hmm. they constantly buy new clothes and it's not just about buying new clothes okay you know I, I mean uh, it's everyone's personal choice whether they want hmm. to buy new clothes or not hmm. but I mean someone who's buying clothes on a regular basis that takes him or her away from the reality of the world and I think we'll get into this when we speak about the Islamic perspective behind this, but also the understanding that you know not everyone's equal, not everyone's mm. on the same level. So having such initiatives also brings you know some humility to others, and you know getting yourself involved in such uh, you know uh, um, such uh, uh, you know organisations and, and such uh, <coughs> you know initiatives, it, it kind of brings that reality check to you that you know we're not equal some people might be suffering some people might not be fortunate uh, as us and it just gives you the chance to basically give charity you know these uh, initiatives they they are they revolve around people as well so all these second hand clothes they come from somewhere so mm. you know people who have who buy clothes on a regular basis or who have um, clothes in abundance it gives them a chance to also give back to the community so they can give their clothes good clothes you know sometimes you find really good clothes in uh, these shops these charity shops these yeah. uh, such as Oxfam uh, no, myself I have like uh, th- there was a few uh, pieces of clothing that I, I just didn't like the design anymore or I didn't like because uh, I've, I've used it or some of them were even unused um, maybe yeah. only once or twice uh, but maybe I didn't like the colour or something like this so what, what you can do or for everyone you can donate that instead of thinking that well, this is a new piece 
I'm like I'm I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to use it as much as possible. If you don't like it, um, yeah. it's just gonna be laying in your cupboard somewhere in the back. Yeah, and you're gonna find it years later. Then you you can denote uh, um, um, donate it. And you don't have to donate, you know, old ripped clothes. That, that's Absolutely. that's also another uh, thing which people usually have have that um, mindset that you know, if something is old and broken, then you should donate it. The, the best thing to donate is is um, new clothes. Uh, I know a lot of people they buy new clothes and then they donate it to charity straight away. Like from, it's packed. Instead of saying that I'm gonna donate my old and ripped clothes which I've been using. So it's it's a form of charity, the way we give money. Um, obviously old money, new money has the same value. Uh, but um, the way we give money, you can buy new clothes and donate that as well. Um, but here secondhand uh, September is more about your own, I think choices instead of uh, donating things. That reminds me of of a saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. That, uh, just I think it's just it's highlighting the importance of taking something for granted. Uh, um, he mentioned that even if you are next to a running stream of water, next to a river, mm. even then you shouldn't waste uh, any any dri- any drop of water. Uh, mm. You know that river which is flowing, mm. that water. If you use it. You you can it will be utilized. If you don't use it, it will be wasted. Mm. Even if that water will be wasted, why should you be the one who takes that water and waste it? Mm. So you should be <clears throat> as careful as you can and use only what you need. And I think the second half September is also highlighting this that uh, you can reuse your clothes. They're brand. I mean, you can wear them multiple times. It does not. Uh, it, the, the 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 trend doesn't change. The fashion of that. Um, clothing piece doesn't change the look doesn't change it's just in your mind that I've used it so many times uh, so I have to buy new clothes absolutely yeah um, uh, no great um, a great quote there from uh, one of the traditions of the Holy Prophet Islam and I think it it, it shows it depicts a mindset that you should never waste uh, anything and uh, you know it's and it's about uh, it's you're absolutely right i mean it's it's about um, it's about a life lifestyle choice and uh, goes beyond clothes as well i remember the fourth caliph of uh, the mdm Muslim community once gave, uh, you know gave a sermon on on making sure that you take short showers and you don't waste money while brushing your teeth and mm. uh, waste waste water while brushing your teeth making sure that the tap is off while you brush and a lot of people keep their taps on when when they're brushing and and stuff. I mean, little things, yeah. but um, they all add up, and it's uh, it's about um, uh, it's it's really about the choices that we uh, that we all make. Right. On that note, uh, we will take a quick break, and when we come back, we will continue this discussion on secondhand September. Please do stay tuned.
listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى فَادْعُوهُ بِهَا Yusuf, on whom be peace, mentions God's favors by virtue of his attribute of Al-Latif, the benignant, by recalling how God was his friend, while his brothers conspired against him. According to the lexicon, Latif is a kind of gracious being, one who is benevolent to his creation, as well as one who is aware of all subtle and incomprehensible matters. Al-Latif is one who illuminates hearts, who makes arrangements for physical and spiritual nourishment, and who offers his friendship to his servants during times of tribulation. The promised Messiah on whom be peace said that sight, intellect, and consciousness cannot reach God. It is impossible to try and see him he is Al-Latif, he is unseen and illuminates the person he reaches to such an extent that the person speaks for him, a divine honor mostly granted upon the prophets of God. God is the knower of all subtleties and is all aware. He is of those who seek him and raises prophets to be their guide to him. His light is manifested through His Prophets as they spread the light of unity of God all around them. Among all the Prophets of God, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon Him, disseminated this light the most. For it was He who had the most perfect perception of God and it was He who was completely imbued in the colors of God. In the current age, because of his perfect and complete devotion and subservience to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, God has granted this distinct honor to the promised Messiah, on whom be peace. It is the attribute of Al-Latif that makes God the friend of his servants in all trials and tribulations, just as the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, continuously prayed for the reformation of his ummah as well as his opponents as only al-latif can be the guidance and reformation al-latif is the supporter of the victim the voice of the oppressed al-latif is that companion whose loyalty never fails to astound it is he who fills hearts with his magnificent light then should we not be grateful for the mercy of Al-Latif? Allah, 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 
كبر أشهد أن لا Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to this live edition of the Breakfast Show, where we're talking about fast fashion this morning. Um, Imam Abu Shazafri, what are the um, what are the things that um, why, why do people? Uh, use fast fashion why why um uh, or or uh, you know if i can put it another way why do people choose to shop second hand uh, absolutely so as we were discussing that there's uh, different reasons why people choose to go for uh, second hand clothing and especially this second hand september um campaign uh, why is it put forth so we were discussing how it's important to understand that um you know, uh, it's okay to go shop for second-hand clothing. Uh, it's also a way of bringing uh, back that reality that, you know, there are others who are less fortunate. But then, uh, according to um, certain research, there are different uh, various reasons why people choose to shop second-hand. So first and foremost, of course, the biggest one is the environmental uh, concern. Um as mentioned earlier, Imam um, Manan was saying that to prepare one pair of jeans is about, you know, the equivalent of driving roughly 16 miles. Uh, it produces the same amount of uh, carbon dioxide. So, uh, you know, the environmental concerns is at the you know, top of the list. Uh, many individuals opt for secondhand shopping uh, as a way to reduce their carbon footprint. And the fashion industry is known for the significant amount of environmental impact that is caused by the production of new clothing, um, which involves uh, resource-intensive processes and generates a lot of waste. Um, buying second-hand items extends the life, uh, firstly, of clothing, but it also reduces the demand for new production uh, and as a, as a result, uh, then the overall environmental impact is uh, minimized uh, because, of course, now there is less need uh, for new clothing. So environmental concerns is the first one. Then the second one, again, which is a big, big uh, aspect, uh, and that is cost savings. Um, secondhand shopping uh, is very you know, close to budget-friendly uh, shopping than buying new items of clothing. Um, things such as thrift stores, uh, consignment shops and online resale platforms, they often uh, offer clothing and other materials and goods at a significantly lower prices than their brand new counterparts, uh, making it, you know, altogether more attractive 
for others, especially for those who have a tighter budget. So again, um, as mentioned before, people who want uh, a new trend or people who want something branded or someone who wishes to wear something which you know catches the eyes of others but doesn't have the funds, they can always go find something in the charity shop uh, at a much lower price. So this is one, also one of the advantages why people buy second-hand clothing. Um, then the third reason why people do secondhand uh, bu- buying and shopping is because it's very unique and uh, you can find vintage items. Uh, secondhand stores are like treasures uh, of unique and old vintage items that might not be available anymore uh, in the mainstream retail stores. Uh, many people appreciate the thrill of discovering one-of-a-kind piece with uh, some character and some history. And often we see this in um, movies, in plays, in uh, in um, series that, uh, you know, this idea is depicted uh, where people go to shop for older clothing which no longer uh, can be found in the mainstream um uh, stores so people usually go to the charity shop or a uh, antique shop to buy a piece of clothing which uh, you know is regarded as vintage and they buy you know such items of clothing which of course are second hand from such places so this idea isn't a new idea of buying second hand it's an idea that's uh, very much um uh, it's uh, been placed in our society it's not an idea that uh, you know causes the eyebrows to be raised it's an idea which has been long existing within uh, within society and a lot of people have made use of uh, this uh, way of shopping then the uh, another reason why people buy secondhand clothing is because of quality and durability uh, some individuals prefer secondhand clothing um, uh, because they are often made with better craftsmanship and durability compared to the mass-produced uh, disposable fashion, as we mentioned, fast fashion, changing as we speak. Uh, vintage and older clothing um, may have stood the test of time, uh, proving, you know, thus proving their quality. So, as mentioned, again, people who sometimes give their good piece of clothing for charity and often they are of better quality and of a better standard and they are more durable therefore people often tend to go and buy such or search for such items and then buy them then we have the ethical and sustainable consumption people who are concerned about the ethics of fashion production such as their fair labor practices and working conditions may choose secondhand shopping as a way to avoid supporting brands with questionable practices it aligns with with their values of ethical and sustainable consumption. Uh, then we have supporting charitable causes. Many secondhand stores um, are run by charitable organisations, and the pro- and the you know the profits from their sales often go towards uh, the important social and community causes. Shoppers who want to support these charities while making purchases opt for secondhand shopping rather than just 
giving uh, aid and money, they often also want something returned. So uh, they opt for secondhand shopping. Then we have personal style and expression. Uh, secondhand shopping allows individuals to uh, cultivate a unique personal style. It enables them. Uh, it enables them. Uh, to mix and match different pieces from various areas and styles, uh, fostering a sense of individuality and self-expression. So again, for someone who is into fashion, who likes to express themselves through the scope of fashion, uh, they can uh, find different items from different uh, fashion senses, from different areas, some from different um, you know uh, designers, and put those things together to uh, you know express themselves in a very unique and new manner and come with a fashion trend which might not have been there before uh, then we have uh, another reason why people uh, shop secondhand, and that is to reduce waste. Uh, concerns about um, waste reduction and landfill diversion motivates some people to shop secondhand. Uh, by reusing items, they contribute to reducing the volume of discarded clothing and goods which end up in the landfills. And again, this is a topic which we had discussed before. Uh, again, landfills are being overcrowded, they are being overdumped, uh, and there's a lot which is being thrown into the landfills. Uh, as mentioned before as well, it sometimes it takes a long time for certain items to be decomposed. Uh, and therefore, there's a lot of pressure on landfills. And not just that, there, there's a lot of wastage that is caused by these landfills. Some things end up being in the landfills which are perfectly fine, could be reused, but because someone didn't pay attention to passing it on uh, or didn't have any concerns uh, as to what the consequences could be of... Um, you know, these wastages, they've just opted to just throwing it out, whereas someone else could have used it. So therefore, some people who wish to carry, you know, or not to carry the burden of uh, having a big carbon footprint or wastage, they offer this. And lastly, um, there's a culture and nostalgic connections. Some people have a deep appreciation for the history and nostalgia associated with vintage or retro fashion. They may choose secondhand items to connect with specific eras or subcultures. So that's also a reason why people go shopping for secondhand items. And these were just some of the reasons why a lot of people do that. Uh, so I think in conclusion of uh, why these people do it, there isn't a specific reason. But uh, of course, the one which is which stands out the most is uh, the environmental uh, concerns that people have, how things necessarily end up in the landfills, which take a long time to decompose. Uh, and just to minimize those effects, people opt for secondhand clothing rather than, uh, you know, um, going and opting for newer clothing. So these were the reasons why people opt for secondhand. Excellent. Thank you very, very much, Imam Zafri, for that uh, detailed take on uh, uh, on why that is important. Right. We are now coming up to the eight o'clock news. Um, and after the news, um, we will talk about, we'll continue to talk about this important talk, topic of second and September. And we will also uh, talk to uh, somebody in the fashion industry, actually a cognitive psychologist who works in the fashion industry. And we will talk to her about uh, what the second and September initiative is all about. So do stay tuned.
Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. The Maker, the one who plans. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum wa wabarakatuh. Welcome back to this live edition of the Breakfast Show from South London Studios of Voice of Islam. Today is Monday, the 11th of September 2023. The time is 8.03 a.m. We are this morning talking about secondhand September and what that is all about. I spoke earlier with a cognitive psychologist in the fashion industry, Professor Caroline Mayer who told us um, not only about the initiative, but also how the world of psychology actually can be um, can be a great tool to use in, in the fashion industry and uh, to determine trends in the fashion industry. Let's listen in. Thank you very much, Professor Carolyn Mayer, um, for joining us today for this interview. Um, you're a cognitive psychologist in the fashion industry. Um, Tell us a little bit more about that. This, um, is, is this a new area um, or, um, or am I naive? It's a fairly new area for psychology. Um, so I began developing the department at London College of Fashion, the psychology department, in 2012 and wrote the world's first and I believe still only 
courses to apply psychology specifically in the context of fashion. Um, I was there until 2017 running the courses um, as Professor of Psychology for Fashion and I left in 2017 to pursue my aims to help the fashion industry become more ethical and more sustainable. Right. So how do you apply then psychology in fashion? Psychology is in every aspect of the fashion industry. In any endeavor where humans are involved, uh, psychology is a valuable um, input to have, understanding human human behavior interpreting the outputs that humans um, deliver, understanding how to change behavior, understanding how to help humans, people, live their lives better. These are all the the remit of psychologists. So in the fashion industry, it could be from anything from working with the producers of fashion, um, even the farmers, understanding negotiations, dealing with people from different cultures, different ethnic backgrounds, how um, we deal, how we communicate, those are psychological processes. Then if we're looking at design, that is a creative uh, endeavor that again is a cognitive process. It happens in the brain um, and not, as well as in the fingers, of course, but it's a brain process. We look at the fashion industry in terms of its inclusion and diversity agendas we might think, well, psychology matters here. What is the impact of not being represented? What is the impact of representing people in a particular stereotype? How does that impact the people who don't fit into that ideal or that stereotype that's represented? You know, sustainability is a huge uh, factor of the fashion industry and helping people working with sustainability understand how to improve processes through human behavior, but also understanding the impact of not doing so on the people who work in the fashion industry, who supply the fashion industry, and also those who buy from the fashion industry, the billions of consumers around the world. Things like sizing, ethics, um, consumer insights, working with AI, which is loosely based on the brain, all those elements Um, involves psychology. I can't think of anything in the fashion industry where psychology wouldn't be a benefit. Sure. So let's talk about sustainability in fashion a little bit. Um, uh, uh, How important do you think this initiative uh, uh, of second second hand September is in, in the context of sustainability? I think it's hugely important because it encourages people to take part in a campaign that will reduce the demand for brand new fashion. And in doing so, it will reduce the greenhouse gases that are emitted into our atmosphere. So Secondhand September is a way of engaging the public who don't necessarily already buy from secondhand stores, charity shops um, and other secondhand outlets to donate, reuse, restyle, rewear, and only buy secondhand for a whole month. So on one hand, this isn't a big deal. We just buy secondhand things only, so nothing brand new, for the month of September. But of course, when we buy something from a secondhand shop, it's new to me. So the buzz we get from buying new is the same. And in fact, research from Oxfam last year showed that when we buy something for a secondhand 
from a secondhand shop. That buzz lasts longer. That thrill of the novelty of something that we've bought lasts longer when we buy it from a secondhand shop. And it changes the, the statistics that we've seen that have come out from recent research from Oxfam from this year's campaign. Um, and they found that if all UK adults bought 50% of their next wardrobe items secondhand, it would prevent 12.5 billion kilos of carbon emissions entering our atmosphere. That's equivalent to a plane flying around the world 17,000 times. Other statistics showed that donating clothes that we haven't worn for the past year to charity shops could reduce carbon emissions in the atmosphere by 4.9 billion kilos, and that's equivalent to 6,600 flights around the world. So everybody has a part to play. This isn't a problem that belongs to somebody else. The problem exists on our planet, and it's coming closer. So rather than being termed a climate crisis, as it was recently, or climate change first, then climate crisis, we're now in a climate catastrophe. The changes are here. The changes are with us. And everybody needs to be aware of the small changes they can make to make a huge change cumulatively to the planet. cannot agree more, Professor Mayer. But how do we reduce the stigma that is attached to wearing secondhand in the society in general? Uh, so some people have a stigma associated with buying secondhand, potentially because they associate it with a lower socioeconomic status than they want to be seen as or potentially it's it was something that they had to do in a previous time in their lives and they don't want to go back to that. But things have changed now, and, and charity shops are supported, frequented by people of all economic statuses. It's uh, You can find incredible bargains in that um, of very high-quality clothes. Um, so not only are they affordable and high quality, they're one of a kind. So people can go in and choose clothes that enable them to show their unique identity, which is becoming more important in fashion. People are realizing they don't want to look the same as everybody else. And we can use fashion to show our unique identity and also show our values by, by buying secondhand and wearing things that are different that people will say, wow, where did you buy that? And in buying secondhand, people need to understand, and this is really important that they remember this, they are contributing to a more sustainable and circular fashion industry. They can still engage with fashion, but in buying secondhand, they're embracing a fashion forward and conscious lifestyle, far more than if they're buying from the, from the big global chains. They're having a positive impact on the environment by lowering the carbon footprint of the demand for new products. What sort of role do you think our celebrities have in this regard, in terms of really becoming role models uh, to wearing recycled stuff? According to RAP, only 10% of the national wardrobe is recycled. So they are very, very low numbers indeed. Yes, they are. And I think celebrities have a huge part to play. Um, and this is why influencers are influencers, because they influence consumers. And when people see celebrities or people who they admire or aspire to living like or aspire to engaging in their lifestyle, 
they will be persuaded to to shop to consume in the same way or a similar way to to celebrities so last year um the love island joining in with with secondhand clothes and ebay was a great way to engage people who might not have otherwise engaged with buying secondhand so you know celebrities have a huge part to play and we do see some celebrities wearing their clothes frequently rather than never being seen in the same item twice. And I think this is something that is being praised in the press when we see celebrities wearing something that they've worn uh, on frequent occasions before. So to answer your question, do celebrities have a part to play? Absolutely. And you do see a trend building there. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. People aspire to to be like the celebrities they follow. Um, lastly, Professor, how how can uh, people in general be encouraged to shop secondhand? What more do you think we need to do? I think people can shop with purpose to bear in mind the impact of of the fashion industry and their consumption of fashion. To think more carefully, more mindfully about their engagement with fashion in general. So when they shop, they can shop with purpose, mindfully thinking about what looks good on them. And when they go in charity shops, having an open mind about what they what they will buy, um, looking through the, the rails. And I, I'm pretty sure they'll find something that, that that is a wow for them and they get the pleasure from that, which will last. If something is in a charity shop, they like part of it, but some of it isn't quite right. You can change the buttons, for example. You could even have a very classic tailored jacket, have it altered for for not much money, um, for if you if you can't do it yourself, of course, or have it shortened, lengthened. You know, there are ways that we can upcycle these bargains that we're likely to find in charity shops. And of course, you know, super important. Remember why it matters. You're reducing greenhouse gas emissions by reducing the demand for for brand new fashion production. You're also help, helping charities support people in need and the people in need who are the most likely to be disadvantaged and in some cases die of starvation because of the climate catastrophe that you know the fashion industry is contributing to and fashion consumers are also part of that problem. So changing our mindset, buying differently, thinking about the treasures we can find. There are multiple reasons why it's good for us to shop in a in a charity shop and to engage in secondhand September. So we find a bargain. We're able to show our unique personality, our unique identity. We're also doing good for other people. And we can donate the clothes we don't want so that our wardrobes are actually more serviceable for us to reduce the cognitive load about what am I going to wear? And I have a full wardrobe here and I don't like most of it. So take the clothes you don't like and donate them. The clothes you don't wear anymore, donate them. This is also a great way to reduce the carbon emissions um, that would have been produced had those items um, not been donated and be in circulation longer. Just thinking aloud, Professor, do you think there's a role for fashion houses and even big department and store chains to 
do we play it here as well in terms of maybe having a second-hand sections within their, their shops and outlets? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely a part, huge part to play. And lots of them are doing that. So um, lots of retail stores are including a second-hand concession, perhaps a charity shop or a different second-hand uh, part in their store or a rental part, um, an online shopping as well. And quite often you can buy second-hand from different brands. Some other brands are having lifetime mending processes for, for, for clothes that you buy from them. They, they guarantee they will repair them as they wear out. So it really keeps clothes in circulation for longer. And people are being educated around looking after their clothes better, washing them on lower temperatures, um, sewing buttons on if a button falls off rather than just discarding that item, looking after things better, treating their clothes better, and valuing them more. So, yeah, I think there's a huge part to play for brands. Yeah, huge. Sounds very promising, Professor. And on that, on that uh, very positive note, thank you very much, Professor, for joining us. It was really a pleasure to speak to you, and uh, this is an excellent initiative. All the very best, and maybe it's with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that was uh, Professor, Professor Carolyn Mayer uh, talking to me earlier. She is a cognitive psychologist in the fashion industry and um, uh, talked to us about uh, not only the importance of uh, shopping secondhand, but also how the world of um, how the science of psychology actually um, is being used, can be used within the fashion industry uh, to uh, not only um, decipher trends, but also help with um, uh, with wearing secondhand. Right. Uh, let's now take a, a very quick break. And uh, when we come back, we will um, try to conclude this topic, uh, the first topic that we are still on, which is about secondhand September. Voice of Islam Radio. Welcome back. We are. Um, this is the breakfast show. So we are talking about second hand. We are talking about second hand September, and uh, we are about to conclude this uh, segment. But of course, before we go, we have a um, special guest with us, uh, Mr. John Crayford, who is from. Pre-Warn, uh, one of the directors of Pre-Warn. Assalamu peace be upon you. Uh, welcome to The Breakfast Show, Mr. Crayford. Thank you very much. 
Thank you for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, could you please start by telling us uh, more about yourself and about pre-worn? What is this all about? Yes, of course. So, um, um, I used to be a, 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 a bit of a convert in a way. Early second-hand clothing. Um, we hold in stock around about one million used clothing items. We started in 2019, um, and we process around about 60 ton of used clothing a month. And that's around about 250,000 pieces. So you can imagine a lot of that clothing uh, would otherwise go to landfill. Mm-hmm. Um, and we buy clothing directly from charities and also directly from the public. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you were uh, cutting off in the beginning. So you buy the clothing from charities and the public. And what do you do with it then? Well, what we do with the clothing is we reprocess it, rework it here. Mm-hmm. And we sell it all online. So all of that clothing, all of that used clothing gets sold in the UK. Okay. And how does how, how does the process work? How do you um, kind of recycle it? Well, all the clothing we buy, you can imagine it comes in all types of forms, shapes and sizes. So a lot of it we have to rework, some of it we clean. And then we photograph it um, and stylize it put all the relevant details in about the clothing, what it is, all the benefits, all the features, and then we list it on our website, which is preworn.co.uk. And also on our website, we we run something called a retail take-back scheme, which is, we call it to be loved again, which is a bag that any customer or anybody in the UK can go onto our website and they can order a bag of clothing a bag according to be loved again bag and it's free of charge mm-hmm. uh, free of charge for them to send it they just fill in the, put used clothing in there that they no longer want and lo and behold uh, when we receive that clothing we give them a voucher to spend on the website so that gets the customer into the habit of buying used clothing yeah that's great uh, I mean that, that was just my next question as well how can people who are less likely to shop secondhand be encouraged and I think this is a, a good initiative uh, what else can you add to this how can we encourage people to uh, some people are scared you know or, or let's say uh, they just not they think a bit negatively about secondhand clothes and always worried about oh, where has this been this might be dirty this might be this so how do you deal with this issue it's a really good question because used clothing has in the past it does have a stigma attached to it but i think that a lot of people who who buy used clothing should really try and spread the word uh, whether it be by social media by word of mouth and just encourage people to just try buying a piece of used used clothing okay um because Number one, obviously, it's fantastic for the environment, um, and obviously, it's cheaper to buy a piece of used clothing. And I think, mm-hmm. second, you know, these initiatives like Secondhand September, they really help, you know, in pushing that message out there. Um, but it is, it is a problem, you know, because people do have that thing with used clothing. But I think it's becoming more mainstream now. But I think it's just all I'd say to people if they're thinking about, you know, oh, I don't want to buy a piece of used clothing, just try it. Just buy one piece of used clothing from a charity shop or from freeone.co.uk or any, you know, any website that sells used clothing. You'll find that, you know, you'll have a good experience. 
Yeah. So, what what is like the difference uh, in in terms of price? Uh, so, if you buy a new, let's say, a T-shirt, uh, it could cost anywhere between, um, you know, an average I would say ten to fifteen pounds. You know, like a good T-shirt. How much would you sell it for, or how uh, relatively? Um, what would your price be? Well, that's a really good question. But what we do on our website is that we try and make sure that we're really competitive. So mm-hmm. to encourage lots of people to buy used clothing, we, we price, we have very, very low prices. So if you, for example, say a T-shirt that sells on the high street that might be a new T-shirt for, say, £15, Mm-hmm. We might typically sell that T-shirt for anything between three to five pounds, but we have a pricing algorithm that takes into account all the brand, the condition of the T-shirt, or mm-hmm. any piece of used clothing. But the whole point is that we just want to get that message out there and get as many pieces of used clothing out there to as many people as possible, so people can, can just enjoy that experience of buying used clothing because it's such a it's such a great experience. It's so fun. You can get something unique. You can get something that needs to be loved again, um, you know, as opposed to that sort of sterile and sterile, you know, environment of going online and buying, um, you know, you know, you know, buying a new item. Um, I mean, if you look at it, sixty. I think uh, there's a statistic out there that sixty percent of the clothing that people buy they no longer use, um, uh, and that figure mm-hmm. is, is is really high. Um, so uh, just it, it is much, much more competitive just to go online and, and buy a unique piece. Yes, yes, very true. And uh, uh, just uh, uh, lastly, um, uh, sorry, I just slipped out of my mind. No, no, that's fine. That's okay. I, I, I have um, actually a question. So, um, more of a comment, actually. So I actually um, am on your website now and uh, it is quite amazing. So, you know, I'm looking at, uh, for example, this pre-worn uh, Calvin Klein jeans for ten pounds. So, uh, you know, absolutely, I think amazing work that uh, that you guys are doing. An excellent website, uh, John. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, well, uh, my my business partner will be really pleased to hear that because he does all of the uh, web development work. No, absolutely. Uh, I think this is something. This is a. Um, uh, this is, um, I think, one of the best kept secrets uh, of uh, of the fashion industry, and and uh, I hope that more people. I wish and hope that more people uh, come to your um, um, uh, to your website and um, and use that, and also get into the habit of using uh, pre worn clothes. Thank you very much, John. Uh, re- really a pleasure to speaking to you. Um, have a lovely day and lovely rest of the evening or sorry rest of the the week peace be with you thank you very much thank you nice to speak to you bye-bye likewise bye-bye so that was uh, john crayford uh, from uh, preworn.co.uk which is a website for preworn clothes right uh uh, so, Imam uh, uh, Zafri, coming towards the um, uh, you know conclusion of this topic, we've been talking about the importance of wearing um, uh, pre-worn clothes. We've, we've been talking about second hand September, which is all about that. But um, in in general, if we were to sum this up and talk about the importance of simplicity in Islam, um, how would you uh, how would you explain that? 
Absolutely, this idea of second hand it goes hand in hand with the teachings of Islam, this, the, the practice of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And uh, we know that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, led a life uh, full of simplicity. Uh, and that's the best way forward. We, of course, have to follow the practice of his, of, uh, of the Holy Father of Islam. And from his practice, we see that simplicity is the key for spiritual enhancement. We see that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, um, you know, rather than spending lavish amount of money on clothing, uh, we know of narrations where the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would uh, patch his uh, clothes. Uh, if there was any holes in there, he himself would stitch them together and never demanded or uh, inquired about new clothing. Rather, it was at very important occasions where he would buy a new pieces of cloth, such as uh, Eid, uh, which is of course commemorated by the Muslims after the end of Ramadan, also to commemorate the sacrifice of uh, Ibrahim, Abraham, that is to say. Uh, so he dealt uh, with things in a very simple simple manner and simplicity was his way so you know this also would encourage people to lead a simple life but the the idea behind it is that leading a simple life so that uh, others can be given comfort so if you've got extra amount of money uh, rather than spending that lavish amount on something else you can have a simple life but also help someone out who is in need and this is what charity is and this is what Islam teaches that uh, uh, in the Holy Quran it says that that you cannot attain the highest ranks of spirituality and faith and iman until and unless you spend out of that which you love the most uh, and this spending is in of course in the way of Allah but this could be done in different ways uh, spending on the uh, poor spending in the betterment of society uh, so all of these things uh, add up to the fact that so living a simple life is in fact a way which uh, can create um, you know harmony and it can create opportunities for those who are of uh, who are less fortunate excellent thank you very very much for that so that was our first topic uh, about second and september and uh, the importance of um, uh, and and this growing trend of wearing used clothes we shall now take a quick break and when we come back we will delve right into the second topic which is about the importance of preserving history please do stay tuned Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمدا Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio.
ولله الأسماء الحسنى فادعوه بها يا Hazrat Yusuf, on whom be peace, mentions God's favors by virtue of his attribute of Al-Latif, the benignant, by recalling how God was his friend, while his brothers conspired against him according to the lexicon. Latif is a kind of gracious being, one who is benevolent to his creation, as well as one who is aware of all subtle and incomprehensible matters. Al-Latif is one who illuminates hearts, who makes arrangements for physical and spiritual nourishment, and who offers his friendship to his servants during times of tribulation. The promised Messiah on whom be peace said that sight, intellect, and consciousness cannot reach God. It is impossible to try and see him he is Al-Latif, he is unseen and illuminates the person he reaches to such an extent that the person speaks for him, a divine honor mostly granted upon the prophets of God. God is the knower of all subtleties and is all aware. He is of those who seek him and raises prophets to be their guide to him. His light is manifested through His prophets as they spread the light of unity of God all around them. Among all the prophets of God, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon Him, disseminated this light the most. For it was He who had the most perfect perception of God and it was He who was completely imbued in the colors of God. In the current age, because of his perfect and complete devotion and subservience to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, God has granted this distinct honor to the promised Messiah, on whom be peace. It is the attribute of Al-Latif that makes God the friend of his servants in all trials and tribulations, just as the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, continuously prayed for the reformation of his ummah as well as his opponents as only al-latif can be the guidance and reformation al-latif is the supporter of the victim the voice of the oppressed al-latif is that companion whose loyalty never fails to astound it is he who fills hearts with his magnificent light then should we not be grateful for the mercy of Al-Latif? You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. 
Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi Welcome back to the breakfast show We are starting our second segment And the rest is history So we are going to talk about history The importance of preserving history um, So as the British Museum looks to recover over 2,000 stolen artifacts It brings up the question on how history is preserved Why is it important And all these kind of questions Imam Zafri, uh, tell us more about this What's going on? Absolutely So the thing is that um, history is something that uh, is very, very important uh, And... Uh, we live in a world in which we have different cultures, different eras, different areas, different civilizations, and each of these aspects of society have a long history that can be tracked back. But again, it can only be tracked back if we preserve it. If 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 it, if it goes, you know, it goes, you know, if it, if we lose that history, if we lose those important artifacts and documents, then we cannot trace back to history. But the thing is, why is it so important to preserve history? Uh, preserving history, it gives us a chance to look again at these preserved artifacts. It provides us with uh, a sense of a place uh, and it maintains flow for our past and present uh, by preserving a trail of who we are and where we are today and it's important that we understand that history is something that makes us from history from the lessons that we learn uh, it enables us to move forward um, if you don't look back at history then the uh, then the aspect of progression or progression uh, will be very different and will be more difficult. We the the, the history teaches us lessons uh, in every aspect, uh, how to deal with things, how to deal with certain mm. issues that arise, uh, how to deal with them and how not to deal with them. Um, if you deal with them, what would be the circumstances and outcomes? If you deal with a certain subject in a certain way, what the outcomes will be? So history is a great teacher. It teaches us a lesson that cannot be ta taught uh, by any other uh, way. So... Uh, yeah. History not only teaches us a lesson, but it also gives us a sense of belonging. It it, it tells a tale of how and who we are and how we got here. If it wasn't for that, then uh, we would be, uh, you know, we we would be oblivious to who we are and what our purpose is and how we've got here. Um, and you know the, this you know preserving history has been something that has mm. been around for millenniums we have uh, records of uh, the roman history from uh, the, from that era there were historians that were writing things down uh, at that time then there were also people who were recording history at that time mm. uh, any event that was taking place they were recording it and these traditions were passed on from generation to generation and even with Islamic history we see that history was passed down from you know uh, from one generation to the other the stories the parables um, the incidents they were verbally um, you know passed down from a father to his son and then that, that son yeah. as he grew older would pass on to his it's uh, a very kids. good very important question I'm going to ask you next before that since you're mentioning, uh, mentioning the preservation of history is quite old one of the first uh, recorded or preserved 
uh, forms of writing is the Sumerian cuneiform tablets, which are dating all the way back to 3500 uh, BC. And then we have the Egyptian her- uh, hieroglyphs, which are around 3000, 3200 BC. We have the, the recently discovered, well, quite recently, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, which are dating back to uh, the second century of the BC. So there's so much, uh, so many um, manuscripts which have been preserved. So I was going to ask you that: How has the Holy Quran uh, been preserved? How has that uh, been? If, if I can just interrupt you um, uh, there, Imam Anan. Um uh, maybe let's um, and hold that thought, Mamush uh, Zafri, and we'll come back to that question. Uh, we do have uh, our, um, our our guest for this uh, segment, uh, Ms. Nasira Mirza, who is a student of the Hebrew University of Jerusalem in Israel. She's a scholar scholar of the linguistic context of the Bible and is currently studying to become an advanced scholar of the Torah. Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you. A very warm welcome to the breakfast show. Walaikum assalam, peace be upon you too. Thank you very much uh, for, for joining us. Thank you. So, so, so tell us first, uh, how did you, um, how did you, how did you become interested in in this area? Uh, well, professionally, I'm actually uh, an interpreter um, uh, between the languages of Urdu, Punjabi, and Hindi. Um, I've had quite a few multiple roles in the community voluntarily. Um, my main passion is languages and the history of science and religion and um, I'm uh, currently looking into the methods of healing through light energy that the ancient Egyptians used because I do believe that they reached great peaks of successes using these methods um, and unfortunately so much so that this led to uh, them becoming arrogant and forgetting their creator and hence Mm -hmm. their destruction. Yes, that's that's uh, many many you know huge topics you're mentioning. Uh, let me start off with a small one. First, can you just explain to us why is it so important, and why is it so crucial to preserve history in the in the first place? Uh, I mean, both for national and local level. Yeah, I mean the the world is changing is so fast, uh, mind-boggling speeds. Engineering, science, medicine, architecture—it's it's just you know just mobile phones. You know they're hard to keep up with. Um, yeah. uh, history, I mean, it can be exclusive as one family lineage, or it can be as global as planetary evolution. Um, but between these two extremes. Um, history is, you know, it's made us who we are today and it will continue to influence who we become. So these things are really worthy of preservation on a cellular level if need to be or a universal level if need be, yeah. Mm-hmm. And how do you see the future of um, historical preservation? Uh, how is it going to evolve? Do you have any um, kind of expectations or thoughts? Well, heritage. I mean, in the in the in the UK uh, and worldwide, it, 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 it's becoming um, it's emerging. It's a, it's a mainstream concern. People are becoming more and more interested in their background, whether they um, where they where they come from originally, their ancestors, and they the, the, the more they discover, the higher their interest rises in opening up to a 
far more diverse culture and history and uh, it takes them beyond not just a few decades but centuries and beyond what they've ever been told by their grandparents great grandparents and mm-hmm. just studying textbooks at you know history at schools uh, is not enough anymore people have got a real thirst and hunger for traveling and researching far and wide and in the UK alone when we see documentaries like who do you think you are and you know we see for example Boris Johnson he uh, his great grandfather Ali Kamal was a a Muslim Ottoman mm-hmm. journalist and we see the movie Victoria and Abdul um, uh, which uh, depicts the real life relationship between Queen Victoria of UK and uh, uh, her Indian Muslim servant Abdul Karim um, me and my children we recently took a curious leap we did a um, DNA ancestry test and the results that mm-hmm. came back I mean they were very interesting they placed our family lineage between um, beyond borders spreading from Afghanistan all the way into Bangladesh and that's just scratching the surface so yeah we do need to acknowledge you know it's fast mm-hmm. changing adapting and growing cultures and currently on a global level we're facing monumental challenges you know the hu- entire human race so whether it's climate change or social and economical deprivation, unless we expand and reach out and hear from a wider and more diverse audience, mm-hmm. it will become quite difficult to overcome and meet any of these challenges. Definitely. And I think in all this chaos, uh, we have the Holy Quran, which makes a claim uh, that it is unchanged. Uh, uh, God Almighty says in the Holy Quran that uh, I have sent, we have sent this uh, this um, down, this revelation, and we will protect it. So in terms of that, I want to ask you that, what is the history of the Bible, the Torah, and the Holy Quran, its preservation? Uh, what have you, what work have you done on this? Well, as you've just rightly mentioned, the Quran was uh, predicted to have been preserved by God himself. Um, we when we when the muslims are were, say their daily prayers five times a day they are repeating major parts uh, parts of the quran and that's five times a day many uh, portions of the namaz each time and, and that gets repeated over and over again at the time of torah versus at the time of the holy prophet mm-hmm. and the descent of quran the holy quran in the Arab world at that time, Arabs were gifted with amazing memory skills. So not only were there at that time Hufaz, the memorize the memorization of the for the memorization of the Holy Quran, at that time they were scribed and written down as well. In the in the, in the time of the descent of the Torah, when the Torah was descended upon Prophet Moses. Um, the, the, this this same capability of memorization wasn't uh, as developed as it was mm-hmm. at the time of the Holy Quran, and the pre- excuse me the prayers as well. The prayers do not contain as much of the quality and quantity of the Torah, um, and they are not repetitive in the same nature as there are the five daily prayers. Um, but yes, as, as you have mentioned, uh, that uh, we have in chapter 15, verse 10 of the Holy Quran, where Allah says, Verily we ourselves have sent down these, this exhortation, and most surely we will be its guardian. 
um, at the time of the Holy Quran, the, the, the preservation was done multiple ways. It was scribed. It was scribed on bones, on leaves, on uh, on leather, um, and it was memorized as well. And uh, the same, the same quality, the same uh, ability was uh, not available at the time of uh, Torah. Ms. Mirza, since uh, you're starting to become a scholar in Torah as well, <coughs> excuse me, um, can I ask um, what is um, the oldest uh, scripture that's available um, in in um, for Torah? The, you see, this is quite interesting for me, and I'm going to end up opening up a Pandora's box. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I just heard uh, your colleague mention the scribes and the lost scrolls. Um, but yeah, the the tablets, and you see, my one of my main interests uh, and passion have been the the um, the ark. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the the ark as well, and the Noah's ark. You mean? The, no, I beg your pardon. The um, uh, the, the lost um, uh, the sorry. You know what? I've, it's at the tip of my tongue, and it's my uh, main passion. And now it's <laughs> the, <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> Don't, not to the, worry. The, the box. The the the, the um, Dead Sea Scrolls. No, the tabut. Sorry, the. Where, the box, right? Yeah. The box. Uh, oh gosh, <laughs> this is embarrassing. You know. That's okay. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So um, I mean, I, it, it, this all started from Indiana Jones and the yeah. and the um, uh, that that movie as well. Yeah. <laughs> when I watched when I was very young. So yeah, uh, I mean, the the, uh, the the Torah is the main main. Uh, a set of rules that was descended upon the Prophet Moses and physically, tangibly, when we look at evidence found, um, this, we, we see many, many different uh, articles uh, merging. Um, whether we date, carbon date them back down to the authenticity or whatnot. But uh, yeah, I mean, basically it's, it's what it's what we pick up throughout history and it's what has been preserved organically uh, divinely whether through culture whether through you know humans have preserved it or whether uh, God has preserved it for us but uh, yeah it's the lessons and the um, the messages that we take from them I think that's of most value sure yeah. absolutely thank you very very much uh, Ms. Nazira Mirza for joining us uh, uh, all the very best with uh, uh, with your studies and uh, all the very best uh, with uh, learning more about Torah and uh, all the excellent work that you're doing Thank you, and Jazakumullah. It's a pleasure. Jazakumullah. Thank, Thank you. you very much for joining us. So that was uh, Ms. Nasira Mirza, who is a student at the Hebrew University and uh, is studying to become an advanced scholar of the Torah. Right. We are coming to the um, towards the end of the hour and end of the show as well. So if I can come to you, uh, Imam Bashar since you teach uh, history um, at the Institute of uh, 
theology and modern languages in Hazelmere. Um, tell us uh, about this tradition of writing history. So we, uh, you know, we were talking earlier with uh, uh, with Ms. Nasira Mirza, and she was talking about this importance um, of not only memorizing but also writing uh, the Holy Quran as soon as it was uh, revealed to the Prophet uh, Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. So within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, we obviously we, we've we've continued this tradition and there is this tradition important tradition of preserving history within the community tell us a bit about about that absolutely so i think uh, mentioning the different parts of history and how history has been preserved it's very interesting how different um, different uh, cultures different um, areas different civilizations have uh, accumulated their history um we see that surrounding the Arabian Peninsula, we had the Romans, the, of course, at that time known as the Byzantinians. Then we had the Syrians, uh, which were now common-day Persia, uh, Iran area. Um, but, uh, you know, that wasn't just the world. We, has the, we had the people who were from Egypt, we, you know, the uh, Coptics, but they, you know, went back all the way to the times of... Uh, the pharaohs and we see that uh, history was being preserved in every uh, manner uh, history was being preserved through sketches on uh, walls of caves history was being preserved through words uh, especially in uh, places where uh, language had been come to a point where uh, the uh, you know writing was available it could be written down such as the Byzantinians and Romans they were writing down in Latin and in the early uh, you know language that was developed um, people were also uh, you know the hieroglyphics that was a language that was being written in uh, the history was being written in so there were different means of preserving history when we come to the um, preserving history of the Islamic uh, tradition we see that it was very very unique because as mentioned that the uh, Muslims or the uh, Arabs they had been given this quality of memorization uh, not just memorization but also the eloquence of language uh, Arabic language, the way they preserved the history was through couplets, mm. through narrations, which were easy to memorize. Uh, and the Arabs had this very profound way of describing uh, an event in the most lustrous and the most amazing way, which was poetry. Mm. So we we find, you know, uh, manuscripts in which the Sabah Mu'allaqa, the seven uh, you know po po poets who had their poems uh, hanged on the walls of Kaaba, we see how eloquent they were and they had preserved history through those things, they had spoken of different incidents that had taken place but when we come to the time of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, lit uh, becoming literate uh, had you know somewhat taken a boost people started becoming more literate mm. we see that literacy levels start going down after the uh, arrival of Islam by the time of Umar going, going down uh, the, the illiteracy the, the, illiteracy, the level yeah, of right. illiteracy started right. coming down right. people, people beca uh, became more knowledgeable in the sense of reading and writing we see that uh, by the time of Umar Acquiring knowledge had become a very uh, important aspect of the Islamic civilization right. uh, to the point where we reached the golden age of Islam in the uh, just before the uh, Mongols or the Mongolians attacked Baghdad in 1253, I believe so. Mm. Um, 
uh, before that this was the golden age of Islam Islam or the Islamic civilization had many scholars mm. and that history was being preserved as you know we went on mm. uh, from the time of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him the traditions were being relayed uh, verbally mm. The Holy Quran was the only thing that was written down. Right. Because the Holy Prophet had said that, you know, if you're going to write something from me, then write the Holy Quran because he didn't want uh, the Quran to mix from uh, with other right. narrations. Sure. But we see that the narrations of the Holy Prophet also had been passed down verbally. Right. Quran by the third uh, t- the time of the third caliph Islam, uh, Quran had been piled together and compiled in a book form and it was sent around the world we have a copy in in uh, in Turkey as well which well, we can go see was it not only was it not compiled um, in the book form actually during the first caliph uh, yes Islam? Yeah. Uh, but there's different narrations to that so the the task of compiling things was given to Hazrat Hassan bin Thabit anhu, who was Zaid Z- bin Thabit Hassan bin Sabit, I believe so. I think that was that's right. Hazad bin Sabit, yes, yeah. you're right. Sorry, Hassan bin Sabit is going to be a different person. Hazad bin Sabit, uh, Sabit was given to, uh, and he basically gathered the different pieces of uh, Quranic narrations that had been written down either on bone, mm. on rocks, on leaves, on leather, on wood, and uh, they were brought together. Now, we must remember, I mean, again, again, I'm opening a very big um, subject, Mm -hmm. but the Holy Quran, according to uh, the narration of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was sent in uh, various uh, readings. So we have Qarat. Hmm. So, you know, Hmm. we have a a narration of uh, the the reading of the Hafs. Then we have the Varsh. From Nafit, so these are different narrations. You know, there's slight dif- not difference in wording, but difference of pronunciation. pronunciation yeah, absolutely. Now, because of different dialects. Oh, yes, yeah. different dialects. And, so, and, and that was um, um, uh, that was done um, uh, to, to preserve it in a, in the Quraysh dialect was done in the in the time of Hazrat uh, Usman, which was the so, so, so the 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 the, 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 the <coughs> Quran that we have today, hmm. the, the the most authentic. Uh, Vari- not the variant, but I would say the, the, the copy hmm. that was actually distributed around the Islamic civilization was the one at the time of Hazrat Usman, the Hazard third caliph. But in terms of the book, my, my original question was about you know being compiled in the book. Um, because I read somewhere that uh, the um, it was actually in the form of a book with uh, one of the wives of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings. Well no, so, 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 so the, and it was taken uh, by Hazrat Abu Bakr, who yes, was the first so the, the, caliph. The, the, so we must remember that the Quran was being written down at the time of the Holy Prophet It's not like the, the Quran wasn't being written at all. Mm-hmm. The Holy Prophet had instructed that write from me only that which is revealed to me for the Quran. And we know that the Holy Prophet would sometimes even ask the companions to bring the pieces of paper or the pieces of uh, writing that they had to basically put it into the correct order into, into the order that we find it right. in today because today. it was revealed in a different order different, absolutely yeah. but we also know that there's a narration or there's a uh, there's a uh, there's a copy of Hazali which was in order of revelation Right, Hazali had a copy which was in order of revelation. Now, when we say copy, we don't know whether it was a book, whether it was pieces of writing on, sure. on, on you know, whether it was or different materials. Or material. yes, Again, so we, yeah. you know, the way the concept of a book that we have today, that you know, it's stitched, it's compiled, that wasn't there as such. But yes, the written format of the Holy Quran was present. 
even at the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Correct. Ex- excellent. Thank you very, very much um, uh, for that detailed take on the importance of preserving history and the, uh, the importance of preserving history within the tradition of uh, Islam. That was our show this morning. Thank you very, very much for joining us. I must thank our producer, uh, Samab Rahman, researcher Faiza Mansoor, um, as well as my co-hosts, uh, Imam um, Usman Manan and Imam Mubashir Zafri. Thank you very much to our listeners as well for, for joining us. We will be back with another live edition of The Breakfast Show next Monday, uh, but there will be um, live editions of The Breakfast Show uh, from Tuesday to Friday. It is, uh, it is a weekly show, so please do join us every morning from 7 to 9 a.m. We will uh, bid farewell to this show now. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you.